The Creative Trust is a limited podcast series to celebrate 20 years of Gloss Creative. Together with our stellar alumni, we'll share everything we know to be true about the creative process and the business reality of running a small but powerful design platform. Two decades ago, I started Gloss Creative as my creative platform for experimentation and exploration. What has ensued has been an endlessly rewarding creation of ephemeral installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. I learned early on that I could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something. Memories that lasted long after the physical immersion had gone. It crystallised my long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force and that creative renewal is your most powerful weapon over time. Welcome to the Creative Trust. Today is a very good day. I'm sitting here with Sarah Jane Pike from Arrington Pike from Sydney. And very excited that she's actually made it down to Melbourne. It's been a hot minute since we've caught up. It was great to hear that you were down here doing some work and also for Melbourne Design Week. So when I found out you were coming down, I was like, let's get together and chat. So thank you so much for your time today. It's really great to have you here. It's so fun to be here and to see you, Amanda, and just to be in Melbourne and get into this Melbourne Design Week spirit because it is really fun. And you're a day ahead of me. You've already been to the fair. Was it great? I loved it. I really loved it. And I know that we're, we've got starved eyeballs the last few <laughs> years. We've just, so it was just drinking in um, lots of established designers, a lot of that intersection between art, functional art, design, Beautiful. and then lots of new makers and I, I really, really enjoyed the fair. Fantastic. Can't wait to get there. Mo, I mean, the people listening to this will know that you're pretty much, you and Juliet are the queens of interior design um, in Australia, backed by an incredible body of work and recently crowned Interior Designers of the Year through Belle uh, Fanuli for this year. And that is pretty incredible it must be it must be so amazing to be recognized for what you do and we'll talk about that later but I guess I'd like to stick with our our well-worn path to questioning and the first part is how do I know you you know our bio as such and I guess I was lucky enough to meet you on the DIA Dulux the dialogue tour in 2018 along with Andy Florkowski, Daniel Delariva, Kushla McFadden, and obviously Bernadette Wilson, who we now to this day call ourselves the original bubble. We were the bubble before the bubble. I know. Yeah, we were the I first felt bubble. robbed when they started talking about bubbles with COVID. <laughs> it's like, no, we're the, we're the original bubble. Anyway, and it was a bubble because we spent 10 days in that bubble just hanging out together. You know, I've sat in the back of an Uber with you. I feel like almost for 10 days we've fallen asleep on each other's shoulders. <laughs> you know, going from strangers to this intense, incredible experience was so much fun. And I think it really was like merit at first sight in a way because yeah. it was like designer at first sight. Yeah, it was, it was such so, a great experience, wasn't it? 
It was such an immersive deep dive from day one, wasn't it? And I remember the very first day meeting you and you'd been in Shibuya looking at ribbons and I was like, but where, but how? Take me. And, you know, from that moment I knew that we were going to be buddies on that trip. (laughs) And likewise, I remember when I rang you, when I heard you'd won, I rang everyone and you were like, oh, of course I'm going a couple of days earlier because I need to stay here and I need to see this. And I'm like, yes, because I need to go and buy ribbons. I need to go (laughs) elsewhere, um, which was great. So that's how we met. And I guess that beautiful conversation has gone on with everyone in that in that bubble. There's not a month goes by that someone's not sharing something that they've done or loved or a laugh. And I think that's been an an incredible thing. But today I guess we're here to talk about your work. And it's almost impossible for me to describe what your work is, except that when I look at it, I see something that is quite rare and exquisite and beautiful. I'm sure you see it maybe more as people's homes, but Mm. when I look at your work, I feel like it's something that's very rare and beautiful in its uh, work. And I guess you're highly skilled now and you're at the top of your game, but I'd love to know how it started. What gave you your creative life? And I mean, go back deep. Like when you were five, what happened? (laughs) I think that's always a really interesting question. And I think growing up for me, my parents moved here from Sudan in the early 70s and me and my siblings were born in Sydney and we grew up here. I would say my parents, it's like they came from an alien planet. Like it really has no relationship between where they grew up and and where they landed. And so we were forging things as a family, I think. So the idea of design just wasn't something that I understood as a child. But what I did grow up with was um, incredible textiles and sewing and making. And who who, who frolled? So my grandmother was a was a seamstress. So everybody in our family sewed and all the women in the family sewed. Um, but my grandmother was a seamstress and did that in her work. And all of our clothes growing up, were, you know, were, were sewn and there were always family weddings and, and Holy Communions and there were always dresses being made and things being made. And I can remember sitting with my mum and my cousins making little outfits for our dolls and using all the scraps of fabric and, and sewing all the... Um, details and my grandmother teaching me all the different embroidery stitches and so I think textile was really my very first entree into the decorative arts if you like and for a time in high school I thought I'd be a textile designer I thought that's what I would do and then I just started to understand the world of interiors a little bit more the world of architecture a little bit more but it was something I had to kind of learn along the way. It wasn't something that was around obvious. me growing up. It wasn't obvious to me. No, it wasn't. Mm. We did a, a family renovation when I was about 15 and I think that was the real crystallising moment of, oh, there's somebody whose job this is. So they you got an interior designer or? We didn't get an interior designer. You did it yourself? No, we just did it ourselves as a family and we had the builder. But right at the end, mum got this lady to come to the house and she arrived with a van like a you know a big tarago or something and when she slid open the door it was full of fabric hangers and she did the curtains and some of these soft furnishings right at the end of that process and when she opened that door like my eyes were (laughs) 
we're just open lollies. to a whole new thing that I never knew existed. And I remember thinking, wow, this is someone's job that you get to choose textiles and put them into a home. And so that was really the very first inkling I had that that was a thing that you could do for work. And I was, I was really romanticized by all of that. That was poetic to me. I thought that was the best thing I'd ever seen. So that really started my awareness of that as a role that you could play. Isn't it great that moment where, yeah. you know, the light goes on or the light is let in? Yeah. yeah. Did you ever decorate your bedroom? Like what So was... many times. Okay. Yes. So it, describe your bedroom when you were a kid. So I decorated my bedroom a number of times and I used to make like a scale drawing of it on grid paper and wow. I'd make each of the pieces of furniture in a little scale drawing and I'd move them around the plant. So this was a thing that I was doing as so a kid. So how old were you? Like early teens, probably 13, yeah. that kind of age group when you start to really think about your own environment and what you want want your room to be like. And I have a cousin that I'm very close to and growing up she was really into gardens and landscapes and her parents were, have an amazing property and were always working in the garden. So we used to build scale gardens out of sticks and leaves and rocks and things. So we'd make these garden models and then we do these little exercises of moving around our bedrooms and our furniture. That's what we would do in the, you know, the school holidays when we were hanging out together as kind of early teens. And the bedroom that I got to decorate probably around that time, 13, 14, had a raked ceiling. Ooh. And I painted the walls. I got to choose everything. Mum and Dad let me go. I painted the walls in a pale kind of turquoisey aquamarine and then I painted the ceiling butter yellow. Wow. And But the blue reflected onto the yellow and looked green. And everybody used to come in and say, is your ceiling green? And I'd be like, can't you see it's yellow? And <laughs> it was both such an, uh, an expression of something just bizarre that I'd come up with myself and my first lesson in how colour interacts. With light. <laughs> and with light and that things are not what you think they're going to be and that the way that they are in the space really changes them. So, yeah, that room was really, and I loved it. I just loved it so much and everyone thought it was totally bizarre and kind of ugly, but I thought it was heaven. Yeah. But I think I remember in my teenage years painting my entire room like this sort of deep, dusty, dirty, pinky colour mm -hmm. and I loved it. Yeah. It was, you know, and I put a, I actually put a bath, a foot, footed bath in my room <laughs> and made in, it was chocolate and then I put cushions in it. I was going to say, out. was it a, yeah, lounge. it was a little cave. It was a little lounge. It was, yeah. It was like desperate to have my own apartment at that point apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And look, that description of your bedroom, I'm, loving particularly as it relates to light changing color yeah. so i am writing notes here we are going to ask you about those really basic things later like do light colors make a room bigger or smaller what does color so we need we need to get some of that for people while we're here today mm. too so obviously after school what did you do what happened then? I've had one of the most kind of linear paths into my career of anyone I know. So I left school, I went straight to university, I studied interior architecture at UNSW and then I started working. So, so I knew, just you had knew been going in a about. straight line. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Straight to the top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So 
at university? Did you work while you were doing it or how was the course? What did that part, that tertiary part of your education, what did that give you? What did that contribute to who you are now? So the Bachelor of Interior Architecture at UNSW, we were the first year to enrol in that. So this is mid-90s. And so we were really just a group of kind of 15 or 20 just stuck onto the side of architecture. So we did all the architecture courses and subjects until about third year when we got our own electives. So what it did was really teach me that integration and that I don't see a real difference between the two. So understanding the way the whole building works, I think is really key Mm -hmm. and understanding how connected those two things are and that they're not really a separate entity in a successful space. They're not. And then most of my very good friends have come out of that time. And so I'm still connected to lots of fantastic practicing architects that I get to lean on and work with, which we love. Mm -hmm. And then I think just, it was a very intense kind of immersive course. We were 150 people, 38 hours a week, you know, all there, all day doing design studio. I think it's a different experience to university now. And I'm really glad I got that. I'm really glad I got very that experience. Hands on, I very hands-on. Very tactile. Yeah. Lots yeah. of model building, lots and lots of drawing. And I'm not a natural artist. I remember in first year, the head of school saying to me, What is that broccoli you've drawn? And I was like, It's my tree. It's, <laughs> that's not a tree. That looks like broccoli. Mm. And you know, in front of everyone, like proper uh, dressing down. So it was, you know, it was it was formative. It wasn't easy. It was quite a tough course, but I really enjoyed it. I really loved it. So it's provided you with that grounding, I guess. Yeah. 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 And I do love your comment about it's quite holistic, Mm. the intersect, you know, where things connect, the intersection between architecture and interior. And I have noticed that in people that I've worked with when they see what they do as part of something bigger. Um, The best one I can describe is Bill Henson in a marquee at Flemington. Mm. He wasn't just interested in dropping off that photo. Mm. He was interested in every area of how that photo would appear in the room. He wanted to know what was in the room, what was the colour behind it. And you're right, I think things look complete. You know, they often use that word in a lot of judging and stuff, a completely resolved design. Yeah. And I feel like maybe that's what that means, you know, when an interior mm. is completely resolved. I think that's pretty nice and that more and more those intersections are what people are finding their careers in, in a way. Yeah. And the people who are really, you know, get making, trying new things are somehow bringing all of that together as mm. one, I feel like. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think What we know is that what we're doing when we're creating a home, which is primarily what we work on, residential homes, is that we are working with people and we are changing and transforming their entire experience of how they live. So, yes, we're doing all those functional things, but in doing that and in creating hopefully some true beauty for them, we are changing their entire experience. And in doing that, I guess you need to have all of those things so beautifully connected. I think it's very similar to what you're doing in your work where it's actually how you're experiencing every moment and what you're seeing and what you're smelling and what you're touching that actually creates something that you can't define, oh, it was that fantastic kitchen counter. 
Mm. It's not one element. You can't define what it's that holistic approach. Mm. Um, And I think to get that real experiential transformation, everything has to be beautifully aligned. After university, tell me how you met Juliet and tell me how Arrington Pike came together. So I had a couple of years working when I first left university and I went to work for um, Cracknell and Lonergan, who are a little architecture firm based in the inner west in Sydney, doing really great, quite small scale, but very robust architecture. And I was the first interior designer they'd ever had in in the team. But Peter, who was the head there and still is, um, just had a real love, a really intense love of materials and bringing things together and crazy combinations I remember being you know as a in your early 20s and thinking oh does that go together I don't understand what you're doing and then seeing the buildings come together and thinking wow that's truly amazing so I learned a lot from Peter on that kind of real um, material beauty I think that's what I really got there and then I accidentally went out on my own I started a practice um I found a client and things all fell together. I shared a studio with lots of amazing designers and I had probably the best couple of years of those 20s when I was just all on a shoestring and but we had a really fantastic having time. Having fun. Having yeah. a really good time. And I think that was when I started doing more experimental things and thinking, well, how do I want to resolve this? What does this look like for me? And somewhere during that time I started doing some work with another interior designer and I met Juliet there. So we were working on a big project together and started to say, what if we did something that was the two of us? This could be really amazing. And we just really connected. We were working so beautifully together on this project, on this house. We had our different kind of areas and it was coming together so beautifully and it was so complimentary. But we both had that little spark of that entrepreneurial spirit, this idea that we wanted to do something special. Beautiful. Yeah. And how how does your creative relationship work? You know, when you see duos who are spectacular in what they do and you're going, you know, which person does what? How does that work? Or or do you both do it? Or how does how does your relationship work creatively? Like what tell us about you as a couple. Yeah, we well, we are a couple in yeah. so many ways. Um, work wife. Work wife, <laughs> yeah. 100%. And I think, I mean, we're coming up to 15 years in September, so it's changed a lot and it, it goes through lots of incarnations, like mm-hmm. I think, you know, relationships do. So certainly in the early days we were side by side, elbow to elbow, holding hands, looking over each other's shoulders. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? So. Um, And then we went through a period where we didn't get to work a lot together because we started to each kind of run our own projects and just sort of look to each other for guidance and help and influence and challenge. I think that's one of the things we do well together. We'll challenge each other on what we're working on or how it could be better. Certainly I know we go to each other for those hard moments where something's not going well Mm. and you just think, I don't know how to to move this forward. I don't know what's happening here. Um, that's definitely when I'll pick up the phone to Juliet and say, I really need you to look at this. I just don't know what's going on here. We have a nice kind of thing going at the moment where often I might work through a project to a point and then say, I feel like we need some fresh eyes on this. Will you come in and start with some of the more decorative elements or help the client on the art selection or just start to take a new angle because we do have quite a different eye 
And I think that that brings a real richness to the work when we're both doing parts of it. Yeah. But there are a lot of projects that just one of us will direct now. And of course, we've got a really fantastic team. How many people do you have in your team? We're 13 at the moment. So the two of us and 11 other um, women, all women, and um, not by design, but we do really love it. And we've had our associate Genevieve Romas with us for nine years now. So she's become a really formative creative force in the practice as well. And she also runs projects as design director under her own banner at the moment. Fantastic. And we've got a beautiful team of senior designers. And I think um, for us, we started as a collaboration. So there were always two of us. We were always working together. We were always bringing ideas and balancing ideas. So in a way, it's like we try to find the singular vision of the practice, but there is room for everybody's vision within that. And there's room for a lot of creative input from all the players. And we really love it that way. Mm. That is such a freeing thing, I feel, as a creative director or a head of a department. It's so great when you see designers working with you who get fired up on something. Yeah. And then they bring their whatever it is that they can express or contribute. Yeah. And they take it away from you almost and run with it. Yeah. Um, that is pretty spectacular. And it is spectacular to see people who progress, you know, when they come into the business and then five years down the track, what they're doing and how they take on things, that's yeah. pretty rewarding as well. Yeah, it's been amazing. Really and important. I think when we started the business, Juliet and I both had this vision, which was that we wanted it to be a practice where women could thrive. We were in our late 20s. We were thinking about kids, these future, <laughs> you know, families we might have and we were saying, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a practice where we could thrive, we could have our families, we could have an, a, the ability to do beautiful work but not feel like it was taking everything from us and that we could make that space for other women and we could have that team. And I think that has stayed, well, it has stayed really strongly with us and it stayed as a really big foundation of the way we do the work that we do. So we love the work but we focus also on the way we do the work mm. and the experience for each of us that's in the practice and how that is building the life that we want to have because that's what we what we want to do for people and that is that is such a thing for women it was always you know when I went on maternity leave you know I was always terrified that part-time work would mean low quality work yeah. um it was almost unthinkable for me you know, in the early 90s to think about a career that wasn't full-time for someone else, Yeah, you know, working for the man if you like. Yeah. So I feel like that has been an amazing progression in the last 20 years to work in the way that suits you yeah. so that you can have this flexibility to balance your work and your family life, mm. you know. It's and I so think important. The part of that is that there is no such thing as balance in work and family life. There's just one life. Yeah. And so, you, you're living that life all day, every day, and work is such a huge chunk of that time mm. that if it's not um, feeling joyful and feeling good and feeling important and feeling substantial, uh, then 
how could you turn up every day? Yeah. What's it about? What What are we here yeah. for? Yeah. Um. So that is the power that we want everyone to have in the in the business. Mm. Well, it it shows, doesn't it? The result of the work I feel is always shines. You know, it's that thing. I feel like good, beautiful work. There's always beautiful thoughts behind it. There's always good. If yeah, kind of if it looks good and feels good, it is good in a way. Yeah. and what's behind it is good as well. I'd love to talk to you about your creative process with the team. Just if you can run through for everyone what happens. Like, where do you get the briefs from? What happens when you get the brief? And how does the whole front end to the back end happen? So usually when a client calls in, it's somebody we've never met. It's a whole new relationship. So the first thing you're doing is really building all of that trust. You're building up a relationship because what we do is so intimate and so personal and it goes for a number of years. So it's not a quick interaction with people. It is actually something that you build up over time and you work with people and trust is a really big part of that. We have a huge responsibility to our clients. They're, They're giving us this big dream they're handing over their dream and we're trying to deliver it for them and I think in terms of getting the brief we've learned over the years how to work out what the dream is so we'll be getting the brief and most people can tell you how many bathrooms how many kitchens how many bedrooms where they're going to park the car Um, and what we're doing is saying well what does that feel like when you drive in that door and what does that feel like when you put your head down on the pillow what does it feel like when you're cooking and your whole family's around you? And trying to work out, and it's different for everybody. Mm. It's not um, a universal dream, is it? The way we want to live actually is quite personal. Mm. And sound like psychologists almost. It's a big part of it, honestly, yeah. human relations. Mm. I mean, relating to people, communicating learning how to communicate then your ideas back. I loved your podcast about how you communicate the concept with people because I really resonated with this part, which is there's all the ideas, but how do you bring those forth in a way that can be understood? And for us working with individuals each time, so I think when you work business to business, maybe you work with a creative team on the other side or maybe you work with a client team who know how to give and receive that brief and that concept but when we're working with people in their home there's so much emotion there's just so much personality involved that it is very much about finding the way to understand and be understood by who you're working with and I guess to a certain extent people would come to you because of what you do in a way as well I do find you know There are people who, I mean, as I say to people, if you like anything on our website, that's our work. Yeah. Like if you don't like anything on our (laughs) website, don't call us because that's all who we are. You know, you have to be yourself. So hopefully there is that nice moment with clients where they love your work anyway. And they're coming to you because they love what you do. That's something that is certainly um, something that you've built over the years. So we've Mm. been... I think that comes with the experience and the the profile of the business that people do start to get to know the work and come to you for what hopefully is their version and their their image of it, but that there is a relationship between what they've seen and what they're hoping to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that's definitely something that you build over time as a design practice in the early days. You're trying to work out how to even show people what you'd love to do. And then over, over the years, we've been able to do that. So this is, I think, a good moment to ask you, what is the Arrington Park style? And then I guess, how does the creative process um, support that? So how would you describe the type of interior that you do? Because I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> Normally I can look at something and I can have some words, but I'm pretty sure that your words to describe what you do and the way your interiors are would be a lot more accurate. We focus a lot on that individual experience. So we are trying to harness something which is about the joy of being in a place and living in a place. And the more that we think about it, the more we've started to say, well, what we want to do is create joy in people's lives. And for us, that does have a visual or an aesthetic element. Um, we love colour. We love pattern. But not lots of colour and lots of pattern, but we love the way colour can bring so much joy and emotion into a space, the immersive experience of colour. We talk a lot about kind of the alchemy of things, that you have volume, you have light, you have colour, you have object, you have story, memory, texture, the things you touch, and it's the way they all come together and make something really special. Alchemy is a good word. Yeah, alchemy is a good word. And it's it's about that it's the sort of ephemeral part of it that you can't you can't draw it or Pinterest it, you know. Unquantifiable. It's unquantifiable. Yeah. No, I do get that feeling because every time I look at your work, you know, when you described when you first worked, the architect you work with, and you looked at the things that he did and went, I kind of don't get that. I look at your and Juliet's work and I go, wow. But I same thing, I look at like an object that you have or how you put it together and I go, that's way beyond like, yeah, you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. that and that's why I think what you do is rare and beautiful. It's so anyone can do matchy matchy, but I yeah. feel like the way the curation that you put into it is quite is quite rare as well. And we think that there is, you know, joy and humour in unexpected things. Like it's quite nice to have a surprise. And I think that's when you say matchy-matchy versus something that feels a little bit unexpected actually gives you, you know, a little jolt and it kind of brings you into the space and it makes you a little bit more present to what's going on. And I think that increases your kind of interaction and, and what you get from a space is when you're, oh, Hi. Oh, I love that. And um, how do you relate that to a client? So when you're when you're designing something for a client, you're putting together the room and then you get to the selection of like the really fun stuff. Yeah. Like what's the rug going to be? What's that lamp yeah. going to be? What is that chair? Obviously, I'm assuming that's the fun bit for you. <laughs> how do you relate that to the client? Have you just got enough knowledge about them at that point or you think you have plus what you're loving and crushing on yeah is that how that comes together definitely and I think you start to know a client so for some clients you might use a fashion metaphor 
about, you know, you'll be putting together your mood board and showing an amazing and incredible runway show where, you know, the shoe's a little bit jarring or we're looking at a whole palette being built up and the way something comes together. And I think sometimes you can relate to people through mediums that they already know quite well. A lot of our clients have amazing art collections and people who collect art really do understand the way that things can have a creative tension you know, and so it's sort of pulling at that little bit of tension between things that they feel in that friction, in that rubbing is where you find the really interesting moments. And yeah, it's a lot of words and a lot of pictures, isn't it? So we do a lot of that. And then there's beautiful trust. There's beautiful trust from people who understand that they're handing over to you this part of it and saying, I can't see it, but I trust that you can. Mm. And um, we're taking people and holding their hand through that part as well. Do you talk to your clients about the process? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And I think that's part of being at this point in the business is that we understand our process. And I think a lot of the people that come to us really enjoy being a part of that and that collaborative journey that we go on. And we, we mostly say our work is responsive. You know, we feel like there's a real call and response between what we're doing and what people are telling us and it's it's kind of coming backwards and forwards between them and us and until we're finding this beautiful harmony of what they're looking for and what we're trying to show them. And I'm pretty sure your clients would also just be get that full, full impact of your contribution would take their thoughts and take it somewhere that they could never take it. Yeah. And I think that would, I'm imagining that that's the joy for your clients is that they've had the dream yeah. and they've given it to you and Juliet and all of a sudden it's become way more than they could ever have envisaged and then they go, wow, I'm glad we worked with them. Yeah, You know, I guess that's must be such a joy for your clients as well. It, that is by far the best moment and I think um, it's definitely what we set out to do and what we say to people early in the journey we're we're going to do something and you know hopefully at the end you're going you'll be totally blown away Mm. and it's a hard thing to explain at the start and it's just that we know from many years now that that is that is what happens and we can explain to people that you know you might not see it now but we're going to land somewhere really amazing and you're going to look back and think, how do we get here? This is incredible. Love hindsight. Yeah. So good. I'd love to ask you about the rig prize. Oh, yeah. Uh, you came down to Melbourne for that. I'd like you to describe what the rig prize is and how you went about creating that. Obviously, it's a group of a very esteemed group of interior designers asked by the NGV to create uh, with freedom Mm. um, an interior and you came down and the bubble Mm -hmm. (laughs) came along Mm -hmm. and uh, you created, I mean, still to this day, the thing I remember the most about it is the massive triangle above the dinner table, like someone was going to come up and ring it for dinner. Yeah. It was uh, absolutely incredible. And, of course, from that, the table that you had 
in the in the room I fell in love with and then obviously now I've got that table yeah so here today which was amazing so can you describe that process what that was about because that prize isn't really known mm. like so I hadn't heard of it I had only heard of it the previous one so it's a triennial so it's every three years and it's a, a prize the rig design prize run by the national gallery of victoria and it's invitational so they ask 10 um, practices participants to contribute their work and to an exhibition and then there's a prize awarded and the exhibition that we were asked to be a part of was about looking at homes in Australia in, in that moment. So it was about an expression of home in Australian design. And, of course, that's right up our alley. Yeah. And I, I will say that it gave me the most sort of stage fright of anything I've had to do because it just felt so momentous to be asked to be part of that at the NGV, so respected, such a huge honour to be part of that group that group of people, which, Man. you know, really blew me away. David Flack, David Hicks, Scott Weston. YSG, Hector Guthrie. Guthrie. Richard Stanisich. This goes on. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's pretty incredible. Isabella Court. It was yeah. a, just a really. I felt tense for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I was a little bit intimidated. And to, you know, talk about another bubble, it was, you know, it was like school camp, that installation. Everybody was there day and night and working on it. It was really fun. But preparing that, I think, gave us the opportunity and the challenge to really distill what the work is about. What is the point? What are we here doing? And how do we do it? And in doing that, we started to think about home. We called our installation Home Feast Bathe Rest. So the real gathering and then the retreating, bringing people together, taking solace, all of the things that we do within a home. And then we had to think about how we bring homes to life and how we bring these elements to life. And we looked at lighting. We looked at colour and the interplay of colour and light. We worked with some incredible robust natural materials we had the most amazing granite plinth carved out in italy and shipped over before plinths were a thing before plinths were <laughs> a thing it's such a beautiful piece and we worked with you know handmade textile and really beautiful textiles curtain. And putting things together that drop of the ochre curtain um, so we really had to think about how to represent that. And then, of course, the integration of art and Australian artists. So that beautiful triangle over oh. the, the call to dinner, the dinner bell, was a piece by Lauren Brinkat um, and it was just suspended there, slowly moving above that table and it was really magical, wasn't it? It was. It, it was, was just magical. It was, and it, when you talk about whimsy and wit, Mm. you know that was that moment it's like oh my god it's the dinner bell yeah <laughs> you know yeah. it was like this beautiful like you said with the lighting in the space and this thing just hanging as if by no visible means of support but yeah. it's like hey guys it's dinner time <laughs> you know, like that's, I love yeah. that yeah. that makes me yeah. happy that we was, loved that, that too was, that was the rig prize you know I think any any chance you get to do self-initiated work mm -hmm. these days I think is really fun even yeah. if it costs you yeah because there's no brief well when I say there's no brief it's your interpretation you're the kind yeah. of the client as well yeah and that's freeing 
it's freeing and it's sort of frightening. We're yeah. so used to having parameters to work within. Why? And it was wide open. Yeah. It was a beautiful kind of collaborative project we got to work on with our team as well and something to be really proud of for the team and it was the first time I've really shown my parents anything that I've worked on you know because we work on private homes yeah brought mum and dad down for a look it was really fun were they impressed maybe no No, they were absolutely impressed impressed now they were absolutely impressed to see the work in a gallery I mean that was pretty special yeah Yeah. that's it's beautiful that it's recognized in an art world yeah as they are you know beautiful I mean when I walked through there the scenography really stood out for me it wasn't just rooms yeah these felt like sets. Yeah. So for me walking through, it was like, wow, check these sets. Mm. Um, and that was what was most exciting to me because it was interiors kind of with all the, the restrictions taken away. So yeah. it was just literally a set. It was. It was theatre. Yeah. And I yeah. think that also was challenging for us. We kept saying, but we're used to being in the space and we're not going to, no one's going to come into the space. They're only going to view the space. So how we draw that viewer in to, to feel like they're experiencing the space. And, they're in and that was absolutely the dramatic lighting yeah. and using the lighting to do that. But that was a big challenge for us. We're like, mm. So how do you experience space if you can't physically experience it? And you're looking at it. Mm. Amazing. I loved it. I'd love you to describe what happens in your everyday. What does the shape of your day look like? The everyday for me, we've got a new puppy. So there's a lot of waking up early and playing with the cutest puppy. Um, My son's 10. So there's, you know, school drop-offs and lunches and breakfasts. And most days I'm going into the office at the moment. What time would you get in there? Nine-ish. Great. That's pretty. That's going well. I have recognised, especially since becoming a mum 10 years ago, that I'm a compartmentalizer. I like to do what I'm doing and, and sort of then move on and do the other things. So when I'm at home, I'm at home. And when I'm at work, I'm at work. And that just works for me. Perfect. That absolutely works for my brain. So I've been aware that all of the flexibility and the fluidity of the working from home has some advantages, but that actually when I get up and go to the office, I quite like that. Mm. Um, so I try to go probably three days a week at the moment. Great. And, you know, our team is also about three days a week flexibly at the moment, which has all been a very interesting time, hasn't it? Definitely. So I like to go in and I'm only kind of 15 minutes from home to work, so half a podcast worth. There you and, go. <laughs> and I'm there yeah, at the door. Half in the morning, half at night. Yeah, sometimes I stay in the car for a few minutes, finish what I'm listening to. A lot of women do. Yeah. The car's the another yeah. space isn't it yeah I often maybe think, you need to do a car interior oh, a dwell time in a car I feel like if I did a car interior I'd have to spend some time in your car first yeah, you're no, amazing that, you're that, amazing that that hazelnut interior yeah gotta do that um imagine an Arden fight into your car interior It'd be pretty cool. It would be very cool. We've thought about doing boats over the years. Would somebody ask us to do a boat? And actually I'm really intrigued by the tiny house, the caravan, the house on wheels. That's a a thing of mine. Movable movable would be great. And I love anything mini. Maybe that's to come. Yeah. So miniature, miniature environments. Maybe Jacmo might come up to you and ask you to do a mini, something mini. That would be be cool. That would be very cool. I think that would be very good. Mm. 
what are your greatest influences? Like obviously you've got a really strong creative mantra within yourself. What are the things that sort of hit up against that that inspire you or influence you, whether it's a person or a style or a movement? What are the things that sort of get you refreshed and make you feel inspired? I think inspiration is it's a hard one to quantify for me. Definitely fashion. I love fashion for the way that it pushes the envelope and in some ways I hate the constant movement and I feel the waste and that you know but yes I feel that that creative regeneration that you see in fashion every three months or every six months is it's constantly evolving and that's all new it's like feeding the eyeballs it's the new information that's being processed particularly with color mm. I think particularly with color we get a lot from fashion yeah. It definitely um, starts there, doesn't it? Yeah. If you're seeing it on a runway, you need to pay attention. Yeah. Because it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and as think... ugly as it might appear now, <laughs> you know, in six to 12 months, you'll be crushing on it, I'm sure. And more than colour trends, I think people often want to, want to hear what the colour trends or the forecast is. It's more about the colour combinations and clashes and, and the way we're seeing colour interact. And I think we, we are very interested in that in our work mm. and seeing interactions of colour. And I think fashion does that on a beautiful mini scale. You know, in one image you can often see the interactions that you might see in an entire home and that can be really exciting. And I think it's easy to kind of understand in a moment. Definitely look at a lot of architecture, look at what's happening in worldwide kind of architectural scene. Mm. And go back to craft a lot, go back to handmade things, mm. always textile for me, certainly ceramics and, and you know, clay I find really interesting, earthenware. I like looking at um, traditional craft techniques, particularly in textile and weaving, uh, First Nations weaving I think mm. is really incredible and looking at the way colour has always been part of that custom and that tradition and seeing the nuance of colour there, I find really beautiful. I love that. I think craft uh, is is always something that is there in the background for me mm. as well. And taking, you know, maybe a traditional technique, yeah, but using it in one's own way or for its, mm. for your own purposes, yeah, is a lovely way to bring some of the past into what you do as well and re birth it in a way yeah. I, I find that well it's not replication but it's rebirthing mm. or regenerating I think it's very interesting and then that's generational as well yeah. you know I think that's that's pretty exciting for most creative people to travel is an incredible inspiration and mm. motivation and joy talk to me about the places you've been because of travel um, I know you've been to Paris. I know that you go and buy things for people. Like, what a shopping trip. It's amazing. I often say that we scratch that shopping itch for other people and it's quite fun. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think when I'm, when I'm looking for inspiration, I'm trying to get as far from home as possible in terms of how we live and what we do. So Morocco and Japan, 
endlessly inspiring because culturally and visually they're just such different places. Um, going to Paris and going to the flea markets and looking at all these incredible vintage pieces. We did a trip a couple of years ago and brought back half a container of just the most incredible things and it was um you know you're taking a bit of a chance just thinking what can we find and how can we use it but the feeling that we could bring something really original and unique to our projects was super exciting and we have placed all those pieces within projects in the following years beautiful we had this great day at clean court where we were walking around and doing all the stalls and we've spotted Kelly Wurstler and suddenly we're in her path, we're at travel in her trail, everywhere we look, there she is. And we we saw this incredible bench seat and we looked at each other. It was Juliet, Genevieve and I all there and said, gosh, where would you put this? You'd need like one of those enormous Beverly Hills homes. And we've been looking at a pair of chairs at that with that cellar. And we came back later in the day and the bench was gone. Oh, and no. we said, who, who got the bench? Like, that, how did you sell that bench? It was incredible, but it was enormous. And he says, you know Kelly. You know <laughs> Kelly. We're like, yeah, we know Kelly. <laughs> you know <laughs> and, Kelly. <laughs> you know, when the, um, when the proper hotel opened in Santa Monica, I saw a number of pieces there that I remember seeing that day. So she was there sourcing for that project. And you can see that the influence and just the interest of having these quite odd, bizarre things that uh, feel so unique and of the moment, their own moment, whenever that was, and being able to integrate that into a contemporary home or a contemporary hotel, it just adds this incredible element of surprise often. I love it. And consequently, we got to meet her. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we in, met in her, her office in LA. And that was, I mean, t- to see her surfaces. It was literally a wardrobe. It was set up like yeah. it was her wardrobe. Yeah. She had, you know, the accessories tables with the vibe trays, as she called them. The beautiful coloured All those trays full of stones and materials, all organised by colour, like a bit of a bowerbird effect, wasn't it? I mean, to for her to just let us go in and go pull out any drawer you want, it was yeah. pretty nice. That was pretty and then fun. that wardrobe at the back, you know, where all the carpet samples and the fabrics yeah. The fabrics were literally lined up. It, yeah. was, it was pretty amazing. It was a great studio. That was a great day yeah. too. Another great day that we had in travel was the day we flew from Japan. From We went to Wonderwall in the morning, yeah. got on a plane, got to L.A., and then went and soaked up Style House that night from the Los Angeles cliff tops yeah. on the most perfect weather, just watch the sun go down and then drink champagne at Chateau Marmont. That was pretty good. It was pretty special. We kind of nailed the LA scene <laughs> in one evening. Yeah, that yeah. was amazing. But, you know, had some pretty dire consequences the next day, yeah. obviously. We went to the mayor's office to talk about the forward planning you know, for creatively for the whole of Los Angeles. Yeah. And we were shown into this sort of the room. It didn't really it have. It didn't any have any light. windows. I and don't blame us. We had just had lunch. <laughs> I blame I the don't windows. Blame, yes, I yeah. blame the lunch and the windows and yeah. the twenty-eight hour day the day before. Yeah. Anyway, we got in there, and I think it was probably Daniel who was leading the charge, and literally we fell asleep. Yeah, and I just remember looking across the table at you, both of us 
doing some very long blinks and looking at Dan and thinking, please keep talking, please, because I, I've got nothing to say. My whole brain was shutting down under the fluoro lighting <laughs> in this sort of windowless air-conditioned room. And I've never experienced anything like it before and I remember just asking questions so I would stay <laughs> awake I can't even remember what I was asking him but it was like the most embarrassing he must have been looking at us going who, who are, are these they? people and where did they find where them? did they drag them, them off the street to sit in front of me <laughs> it was embarrassing Terrible. imagine falling asleep in a meeting with someone that it's like falling asleep in front of the queen or something yeah. it was just it was pretty amazing experience but yeah but I think travel generally um is definitely like you're saying seeing different things you know for me looking at places that are nothing to do with your yeah. line of work you know whether it's theater art galleries yeah uh, Book best bookshops in best the world. Bookshops, you know. gallery bookshops, always my favourite. Spend hours and hours in the gallery bookshop wherever you are. And tell me, do you shop as you go? I do. Yeah, I great. do. I Good. love to shop as I go. Fashion as well. Yeah. Great. I think you learn Ending. from from the years of travel that when you think I'll come back or I might see that again that you never, ever do. You just don't. You just never, ever do. So you have to be, you know, a little bit spontaneous with the travel purchases I think I've gotten really good through our work at just enjoying something and not having to have it I think if you had to enjoy it with your eyes enjoy it with your eyes just love having been there or seen it or touched it or experienced it and walk away and just take only the memories with you I love it and just know that you don't have to possess all the things or all those you know beautiful objects because it's an occupational hazard that we are surrounded by so much That's incredible stuff. beauty. Yeah. So how do you know when to bring something back? Is uh, that that you just can't walk away from it? For me, it's always vintage. So it's always unique and unusual. So it's vintage, it's handmade, it's something that you just know is not, it's only in existence in this one moment at, at this point in time. So it's now or never. If it's something that I feel like I could find again or I might see in Sydney, I'm not, I'm not committed to getting in there and, and bring it home. I have carried home in my hand luggage, you know, a 1940s French bedside lamp, all metal. I've had to unpack it at three airports on the way home and, you know, carried this thing over my arm and bought it at the markets where the woman said to me, you're not going to use this plug and chopped it off in front of me. She's like, I'm not going to waste that. And it, just seeing it go through the x-ray and then being pulled aside and unwrapping the whole thing at every stop. You must have really loved it. I really loved it and it's still on my bedside. You know, I just love it. I love it. That's so, so great. That's the thing that I, you know, will carry all the way home. I love that. that that's dedication. Yeah. I'm loving it. Okay. I'd love to talk to you about painting for dummies. Mm -hmm. So in my experience... Obviously, uh, you know, I have my colour sort of thing going yeah. on. But every time I take the colour out to a marquee and I am say, okay, we're going to do olive green on the outside of this thing, we have to test, I would say, at least 10 to 12 olives on the outside yeah. because anything on a chart does not look like it's just you cannot pick it. I have to put it on the wall. What am I doing wrong? 
oh no, that's what you're doing right. You okay. have to put it on the wall because the chart, I mean, it's printed, it might be five years old, it's yeah. a pigment, you're looking at a paint. The The chart is just the starting point. And when we've been working with colour for so long, you have to, you start to know what, what you want it to be and then you're just looking for the the colour that's going to give you the end result. You're working backwards in a way from what you know you want to see to how to get it and the light is going to change everything. And the I, light's going to change everything in every space. I definitely feel like in daylight, um, I definitely feel that dark colours get lighter. Absolutely. Is that a thing? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. On mass, dark colours get lighter. Some light colours get completely lost and all you get is the sort of undertone. You get a sort of refraction of a colour out of them rather than a colour itself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at a white with a pink undertone or a white with a yellow undertone, you're getting just that pinkish glow or that sort of creamy glow and you're not getting a colour itself. So you're definitely looking at those nuances of the colour, but dark colours absolutely get lighter on mass. The great myth, of course, of if you have a small space, a dark colour will make it feel smaller. I don't agree with that. I think dark colours provide an intensity of, of experience. So sometimes that's going to be actually so much more um, expansive to be in a space and be immersed in that colour and to really feel the intensity of it doesn't necessarily bring that space in on you. What's your favourite white? Oh, gosh. I am partial to, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you have a few. I'm partial to a few. I do like a very crisp, almost untinted white for highlights. At the moment we've been We've been working with green tones for such a long time and now we're really moving to what we're calling the biscuit family. Mm. So um, Dulux breadcrumbs, current favourite. Um, bongo drum, that's another current favourite. So these are kind of blushy, biscuity, without being skin toned, very warm, very soft. But I think where in the past you might have said, oh, that's part of a warm palette, so that's going with other warm colours. Actually, we're using it almost as the balancing act against cooler and more kind of robust colours. So it's not all about a tonal, tonal scheme. It can all be about the contrast. But the neutrals are definitely getting warmer. Definitely, mm. I feel, and that's happened in fashion as yeah. well. You know, I mean, that all-white yes. dressing is like a, you know, winter white or yeah. white dressing. But interesting that you've said, and Hattie, last week Hattie and uh, Kelly were talking yeah. about, you know, they're really lovers of strong colours. Yeah. And I guess is that what you're saying, like some of those creamier tones are sitting really beautifully in the background with the stronger colours mm. working with them? Is yeah. that what you're thinking? Definitely. So we do we do that tonal, tonal, but for me it's more interesting to see something striking and contrasting. So we've just done a beautiful bathroom where the stone is calicata viola, which has all that movement and ha has that real intensity of the, the aubergine kind of tones coming through. And then the walls have gone to this beautiful and the ceiling soft kind of blushy colour and it does just sort of glow softly behind 
this very striking stone. I love it. Sounds great. It's oh beautiful. My God, gorgeous. We could talk about whites all day probably. I would love to know what's exciting you now. What's next for you guys? Well, what's next for us? We're doing a book at the moment. That's Ooh, really exciting. That's fresh. We're both book lovers. Juliet and I love, you know, beautiful books. So for us to be producing one has been a real dream. It's and what's really it about? Exciting. It's definitely about the work. It's about um, some of our favourite projects are featured and a lot of new work will be in there. But really trying to explain a little bit about the way we bring the work together and what's important and why we do what we do. Um, it's talking about the colour, the way we use a colour pattern, trying to inject joy into the work and a little bit about that alchemy of bringing things together. And how's the process of creating a book been? Like, you know, I look, you look through a mm. thing and you think, oh, my God, how do they bring that together? Tell me there are skilled people who help you oh, with that. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> gosh, tell me, yes. Tell me that's <laughs> a good thing. Definitely. And I think it's been creatively challenging for us to be in someone else's process, to be the client in a way or to be, you know, part of the process and certainly as the authors, but we've worked with a great writer, we've worked with a book designer, we've got the publisher on board and starting to see we're out of our comfort zone though with how it all comes together. So it has been interesting to to put ourselves in someone else's process train and just be one part of it. Um, and not know where you're going. And not that train. Know, yep, not really know how it all works. We've really enjoyed the visual part of it, but the process was was set up in a slightly different way. And until we could see it, we couldn't finish it. So that was a really interesting thing for us to recognise that the way it was going to be realised was a huge part of how we understood it. Amazing. So did it take more time than you imagined or less? Or? It's still going. So still going. Okay. <laughs> Coming out next year. I think we knew that, I mean, we'd been told by other people, you know, it's a big commitment of time. So we definitely, we were prepared for that. I think the the importance of it to us, how much it means to us, means we've been happy to give it that time. Great. Yeah. Okay. When's it coming out? This year, I believe September. We don't Great. have a date Just in yet. time for my birthday. Perfect. <laughs> Great. Perfect. I'll have it signed, thanks. I've got another question for you, one that we, I know that you don't like quotes, so there's no quotes today. <laughs> Sorry, people. Um, I want to ask you, because I have no idea, are you front of house or back of house? Tell me what you mean by that. Well, in the event world, yeah. some people like skulking out the back yeah. and some people like being at the front and enjoying the party. Oh. And some people in our world um, are forced to be communicators even though they'd really prefer yeah. to be at the back of the house. Yeah. I think I'm front of house. Okay. I think I'm front of house. I do... I mean, probably both, but I, I mean, I love the way everything's put together, but I do really enjoy being part of that communication piece, being part of how it's expressed and, and understood in the world. I think it's really important too. So you're front of house, you're probably yeah. only the second or third person out of 14 people. Wow. So yeah, mm. so you are on a very special group of people <laughs> which we knew already. Thank you so much for your time today, Sarah Jane. Oh, what a uh, pleasure. It's Thanks, been Amanda. 
now. Um, no cookies this week, but we're going to go and have some chocolate speckled eggs. Beautiful. Let's do it. Thanks. Thanks.